Welcome to the Untapped Philanthropy Podcast. We're your hosts, Flux's co-founder, Corinne Mitchell, and Neon One's Tim Sarantonio. We've spent our career learning how to leverage technology and data in the social sector to better connect and serve our collective causes, constituents, and communities. In this podcast series, we profile leaders, public figures, philanthropists, and industry experts to explore the fascinating intersection of funding, technology, and policy. We're here to analyze the most formative topics and trends that shape the present and future of philanthropy. Happy 2023 to everyone. We hope your year is starting off in the best possible way. To kick off the new season, we wanted to bring insights from an incredible voice and visionary who brings to us the vantage point of the collective. Michael Thatcher is the CEO and president of Charity Navigator, a group many of you may be familiar with. He, um, it is a 501c3 assessment platform that evaluates hundreds of thousands of U.S. charities based in the U.S. And so today we want to welcome Michael. Hello, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And we always enjoy kicking off our conversations by getting to know you as a person first. Um, we'd love to have you introduce yourself. Tell us what brought you to your career in philanthropy. I hear actually that it is a journey different than most. So I started out in life as a musician and a dancer and worked for about 10 years running a small dance company. We were not able to successfully run the company or let's say make money running this company. And so one of the things that I had been doing since uh, high school even was writing software. And so I supported myself writing software and eventually ended up leaving the the art world and going into the for-profit, um, you know, Microsoft of all places. And I spent 15 years in Microsoft, first starting in coding on the Windows team, then working within a standard setting team, working on industry standards. And then finally, and probably the most interesting part of my time with them was as a chief technology officer in their public sector accounts, working in Africa, Middle East, and greater Asia. And the work that I was involved in there was interfacing with governments on their technology policy initiatives in country. And a lot of that had to do with social and economic uh, change imperatives that they had with technology as a lever for change. And often we were interfacing with the local nonprofits or NGOs in the countries that we were working with. And so I had a a tremendous amount of uh, sort of focus of how sort of large technology company with government plus the nonprofit sector could actually affect change. And I did this for well, about 10 years. And at a, in 2011, I went through, there was a significant change in my life. And that was that uh, my wife got sick. And suddenly we were faced with a stage four cancer diagnosis. And the next two years were spent sort of still at Microsoft, but focused on helping her with her situation and, and engaging in that whole, the, the cancer battle. She passed away in 2013. And I went into a major rethink and started figuring out what do I do? Um, 2014, I left Microsoft. And in that year between 2014 and August of 2015, I found Charity Navigator right at a point where their CEO had departed. And 
what I realized was that if I came to Charity Navigator, I could focus on the change making in the world without necessarily having to focus on the quarterly numbers and the bottom line that we had at, at, at Microsoft at that time. And it became, it was really just a, a, you know, that was seven and a half years ago and has allowed me to focus on really building a system that helps donors find good organizations that are making a difference in the world. And then also build an evaluation system that helps nonprofits improve performance. Well, and, and Michael, I want to thank you first for sharing that, that journey, you know, and, and I think it's those types of formative things that we hear across the industry on how kind of people joined the sector. And I always call it like, how did you get on the Island of Misfit Toys in a way? Um, one of the things that I, I love about the work that you folks are doing is that it's helping trying to make sense of all these different swirling things happening that are both qualitative and quantitative. But I wanted to kind of take take a step back before we get into that and talk about those more quiet moments of of generosity that you have witnessed or experienced. And and want to ask you: Is there something that stands out as a a uh, really transformative moment that you experienced yourself? Uh, during that journey? Like, is there something that stands out that says, wow, this is exactly why I'm doing this work? You know, I, I think it's, um, you're, you're asking a wonderful question. And there are a couple of, it's funny, the images that come to me are from um, when I was working overseas. And it was almost always, it was the acts of, acts of generosity that were coming from people that really didn't have anything to give. And it's this, um, there's a magic in the giving process that I think is innately human. I've seen it in every country in the world that I've been to, and I've been to many. People care for each other, and when someone's in need, they step up. When I look at, and probably the most visceral example, um, and I'll go back to when my wife was ill, she was in the ICU. I was sitting by her bedside, and every morning there was a woman that came in who cleaned the floors and the way she did that and the care that she came and the way there was something about her energy, the way she attended to and did not want to disrupt my wife or disrupt me that was there sort of tearing my hair out. There was, it was something that that changed me. And so I've seen that in so many different instances and I see it when people find what they're looking for in a, in an organization that's actually addressing a problem that they care about. That was I love beautiful. that. Thank you. That's yeah. something I resonates for me very, very deeply. I actually, not to overshare either, but it, I um, I lost my mom over the, the fall. And I have to admit that is exactly the, the words you just put together, exactly the feeling I have. So I just wanted to honor that and just say thank you for that. Um, I think it, it's a really compelling conversation, your point about having the ability to locate and, and take action on those things that we're inspired by for whatever reasons, whether it be for personal experience or things we care about. I, I am curious, you know, as you start to look at this, this landscape and how you envision, you know, opening that up for people, what you've taken, you know, forward in Charity Navigator, tell us a little bit about, about that mission and, and about where you, where you want to see this organization evolve to. Well, if you, if you think about 
sort of the key thing that Charity Navigator does is that uh, we help build a bridge of trust between donors and the charities they want to support. And one of the things that is an impediment to giving, particularly in the United States, is a lack of trust in the nonprofit sector. So really the vision that we have, or let's say our Maybe I'll start more with our mission, which is to make impactful philanthropy or giving easier for everyone. And my observation of the nonprofit sector and the, and the charities that are doing the work that people seek to support is that they are generally really well-intentioned and some are doing better work than others, but there's not a lot of, let's say, inappropriate behavior. There may not be the most efficient behavior sometimes. But charities are generally really trying their best. And so what we're trying to do is through our rating system is to help a donor find an organization that is addressing need that they care about and, and giving them kind of makes sense of the data that they need in order to make that decision. And then we're also trying to do that at significant scale. So one thing I can say, you know, when, when I joined Charity Navigator, we were rating 8,000 organizations. We were doing it on sort of two access points. It was uh, accountability and, or let's say transparency metrics and financial metrics. We are now rating organizations. Uh, we're rating actually about 200,000 organizations. We still have the accountability and financial part, but we're also looking at leadership and adaptability. We're looking at culture and community, which looks at things that how do they listen to their beneficiaries? What are their internal equity practices with their own staff and, and uh, constituents? And then finally, uh, for a subset right now, we're also doing an impact assessment of the work that they're doing. That's really interesting in the sense that I think it also calls forward some of the trends that we're seeing right now to say to get this data. You know, we want to make sure we're in a position, like you said, where we can we can bring the good word out and make things searchable and get the right information, to the right people so that donations and, and philanthropy can occur to the right places. But that also speaks to the need, of course, and you've been quite outspoken about this in a great way, that the democratization of data is required. And there's a lot of great initiatives out there, like Philanthropic Data Commons, Given Tuesday, and, and, and the role of Charity Navigator in that is evolving too. How do you see some of these common standards aligning with your, you know, your mission and your objectives as you move through to this next, this next step? There's, um, there's kind of a give and take in this. Um, if you think about it, Charity Navigator is an evaluator, which we need data in order to, to perform evaluations. And so how we get access to data is, is critical to, to our success. But it's also, um, I like to, you know, I often think about the analogy of, you know, healthcare and my personal healthcare information is, that's my information. Um, a lot of people are consuming it, but what one of the challenges that we run into as individuals, we go to a new doctor and we end up filling out the same, the same silly forms every time with the same or almost similar data. And that's being done to nonprofits on a daily basis. They've, every time they apply for a grant, there's a different set of information that they're, that they're putting in. And so there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an overload into the sector in having to supply information. So when I think about a philanthropy data commons, I think about how do we empower uh, the nonprofits to make their data available to whomever they want, 
but then also, you know, write once, use many times, right? So how do we, how do we as um, infrastructure players in the sector figure out ways to share data? We do need to standardize, although I think, you know, initially that's going to take some time to, to do the standardization work. But, you know, long range, the vision I see is that it's, it's a lot easier for nonprofits to submit their information so that donors can find them. And then for the people that are making sense of that information, we have standard data formats that we can work from and not only standard, but also current information. Because I think one of the issues we run into across the board in, in all the different data sources is that data goes, the data goes stale fairly quickly. And how do we, how do we make it easier for people to keep their information up to date? That's, that's really interesting, Michael. Uh, so one of the fun parts about this, uh, me joining the podcast is that I, I represent the individual giving side of things. And, and, uh, so working with individual nonprofits and trying to, you know, help manage their, you know, annual appeals and events and peer to peer, all the, all the kind of the fun stuff in some ways. But what I know we've done that takes so much work to do this is the fundraising effectiveness project, which is an initiative of several, uh, donor database providers where we have standardized that type of work. But we're really standardizing like three fields, right? All that work to standardize three fields when you get down to it that we all agree on. So what do you hope, especially given your background at Microsoft, the beautiful work of the common data model there, where do you see things going in the next five years, maybe even 10 years when it comes to all these swirling initiatives working together with each other? So I, I think we will get to some standardization um, I think what's going to be what's hard, though, is we're going to have to standardize within, I'll call them namespaces. So if you're if you're working on education, we'll do some standardization within different educational areas. And that's going to be categorically different than the information that we have around a symphony orchestra or a ballet or a health entity. And so sort of figuring out how we do the categorization is going to be one part of it. But I also think that the nonprofits themselves are going to start to see the value of their data, and they're going to use that data to tell their impact story. And what we've been doing for the last few decades is we've been telling our overhead story and how many cents on the dollar are actually going to program spend. That's not a good story because it doesn't tell you anything about the work that's done. And so I really do think that the future is in articulating impact. And I also think that the word giving may be replaced by the word investing. And that if people start to invest in social change, they will follow their investments a little bit more closely than, than some of their giving. So, and that, that actually flags a really interesting thing. When I was gearing up and doing research for this, um, you know, my background's working for individual nonprofits and my very first job, our entire uh, budget was $100,000 for everything. Me, the other person, the church, the stipends we gave out to day laborers. And then a few years later, I worked for a very large nonprofit. And the first week on the job, I was handed a $10,000 check. And I was the same person in some ways, but the organization was different. And there's so many out there 
in the U.S. alone that that are are basically under a million dollars in revenue, vast majority under five million in revenue. And one of the things that somebody even asked me when they knew I was going to talk to you is, well, there's this perception that things like Charity Navigator make nonprofits, you know, compete against each other. And I wanted to to kind of ask you that perception, which I know is rapidly changing. What what for the folks listening who are are at these small community nonprofits who feel like they're they're getting they're trying their best, and then and then they see something like this rating. What can they do? How should they think about this as a positive for them? Well, I think it's a huge positive for them because of the fact that it. Um having the rating makes you uh, more discoverable. And a lot of the information that's being requested in the rating is, it's information. It's it's allowing the donor to, and our search, now we've done a lot of work on improving our search, that it will it lets you filter on a lot more attributes. And so mm-hmm. if if we don't have some of that ratings information, you won't show up in someone's search. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a rating or let's say um, you don't have elements of your rating again you 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 will you have an opportunity you you might be missed the rating doesn't cost you any money and I think it's a really important thing to to note is that charity navigator is free to the donor it is free to the nonprofit it's a founding principle of ours we are we are ourselves a nonprofit but we get our we get our revenue. We're more on a almost like a Wikipedia model, where mm-hmm. we have donors that you know individual donors that support us because they find value in the service that we're providing. But we don't charge anybody. So, just to sort of put a put a cap on that, I'd say, um, you know, you want the rating because if you have a good rating, you can promote with it. You can use it to on your on your website. You can use it on the you know we have a branding kit for the three-star and the four-star ratings, but it's also a way of being discovered. And there are 1.6 million charities out there. Donors are only going to give to one or two charities. So you want them to find you. Are there any other common misperceptions or anything that you feel like actually, like that's a great example of where, where the the benefit of it is so is so real for nonprofits. Are there any other ones that we should dispel while we have uh, the topic on the conversation of, of what Charity Navigator can do and where that value can really be uh, pulled forward for folks? Anything else you wish they were taking advantage of that perhaps they had not yet? I think, you know, the, the um, one is because an element of the rating is conducted, at, or let's say we perform the rating based on the IRS tax forms, the form 990, you might have a rating and not even know you have a rating. So that is something that because we've worked out the automation and because nonprofits are now e-filing their their tax forms, we have access to a significantly larger pool of data. And so one thing I would say is that nonprofits may not know they have a rating. So if you if you are a you're a nonprofit, definitely go to charitynavigator.org and see if you have a rating. And then the other piece is that you can't do anything about your rating. You can do something about your rating. And there's actually, because of the expansion of the rating system, every nonprofit, if they go, if they find themselves on Charity Navigator, there is a, there's a little, there's a line, I forget where exactly on the page that says, do you represent this charity? And then that gives you access to the nonprofit portal. 
where you can update your information. If and it, even your IRS information, one of the the IRS right now is is quite delayed in uh, publishing the 990 information. So we've built into our portal a way to consume that um, that 990 information directly from the charities. You can give us your new 990. You can give us new information. So I think that's the. Um, there's actually a lot you can do to improve your rating, and also it's worth knowing that you have a rating. The other uh, new thing is that three-star charities now have a branding kit as well as four-star charities. So there's there are two different branding kits that allow you to promote the uh, a higher rating if you have one. From that perspective, is there anything that you feel like funders or um, folks can help out on the other side? So while, you know, obviously the public charities can come in and, and, and charities can come in to update their information and check on their rating. Is there something for those who are coming from the funder side that need to know or should, you know, be aware of um, that would aid in your, you know, your, your ability to serve the community? I think, you know, there's, there's, um, because we've been through a significant amount of change with the, the whole design of the website and the search features, I think donors are, they're learning the new system Many are loving it. Some of the some folks are sort of wondering what happened to this particular element. And um, I think the thing to, that I would say to donors is you you really want to look for the impact an organization is trying to make in the world, and begin to you know focus less on the overhead ratios because that's not telling you the real impact of an organization. Well, here here to that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely agreed. Michael, one of the, the things that this conversation helps flag to me is how so much has changed in the te- last 10 years thinking about the data itself. And I think it's a very astute and correct observation to say that the nonprofits themselves, regardless of size, it should be noted. This is not a, well, only large nonprofits think about data. All nonprofits think about data. But what did you folks see? Because you've been there and helped evolve this, what did you see to say, you know what, I think it's actually time to evolve this and we want to get ahead of it as well? Well, I think, you know, at the start, I mean, truth be told, I came to Charity Navigator to work on impact assessment and expansion of the rating systems. And so I I came with the mandate to do this. And, you know, I'm seven and a half years into it. And I feel as though we've we've just begun, <laughs> which is a little... But, but we've made a lot of progress. And I think the way, the way we went at this was initially trying to make modifications to the existing system, then realizing that, um, there was too much, uh, legacy baggage built into that system. So we created a, a parallel system. We, it was sort of the code name was the experimental rating system, mm-hmm. which, um, then became the encompass rating system. And what we realized was a lot of people were looking at just financials. That's not enough. We wanted to get to impact, but at, at the end of the day, if go back to this non, uh, this this concept of investing in an organization, you actually want to invest in a healthy organization that is going to have good years and not so good years, but they have the resilience and uh, the adaptability to to kind of move with the changes. And so we were thinking, all right, how do we how do we help donors? with the data that's currently available, make sense of what's a healthy organization. And so what are some of the things that you, you know, you want to know you have strong leadership. Leadership's essential. You want to know that they can, they, they will adapt to how they do their engagements. 
I believe very strongly in beneficiary voice or constituent voice and feedback because a lot of times we design interventions that are designed by very smart people, but they're not the people that are actually affected by the situation. And so that closing that loop and getting that uh, information is, is essential. And so we started looking at, all right, how do we bring this together? How do we structure it in a way that is going to help a donor understand this is a healthy nonprofit? And when available, we actually are able to articulate the impact they're making. I think what it helps also reinforce with this approach is that these types of systems are there to actually support the abundance mindset we should be approaching here because the generosity is there. People want to give. What they want to do, though, is to give toward things like you originally established that they trust. It's time, talent, treasure, and trust, right? And so I think this evolution is going to help us a lot. So I'm really appreciative of that. Oh, thank you. No, and and I think it's um, you know one of the other issues is that there we there is an abundance of nonprofits to give to, mm-hmm. and they're and sort of helping people differentiate and find their way through that, and and at the same time not overwhelm people because I think when, if you if you look at the tax forms they're overwhelming, and I would say we exist and we have done well over the last 20 years because we've made that IRS tax form a a simpler, easier, um, or more accessible document for people to read. And now we're taking that to the next level where we're going way beyond just the the tax forms and really trying to look at much much more pertinent information to really make a difference in the world. So, Michael, we have one final question for you before we get into the rapid fire uh, finishing up of the episode. Um, and I know, Tim, this is your favorite question, so I'm going to let you do it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it is my first episode as well, Michael. So I'm, I'm uh, very appreciative and grateful that you've been patient with us. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can take a magic wand and wave it and change one thing about the industry, what would it be? You know, you actually used the word before, it was the spirit of abundance, and I'm going to rephrase it slightly in this. It's um, it's collaboration. And if we could have greater collaboration across the, the nonprofit sector, I think we, we would have a, a just magical reduction in some of the problems in the world. Mm-hmm. If we could just work better together. I love that. I love it. And that's really where Tim and I, you know, we talk about bringing this together in a new podcast with both us co-hosting so much of it is bringing those two sides of the coin to one, you know, centered conversation about what needs to happen. So we're with you. That collective mindset is just the absolute most important thing that we can do to realize that we are all, you know, equally invested and going to accelerate together. So I'm, we, we could not be more in agreement with you, my dear. Yeah, we can't be fighting each other to try and solve the same problem. It's like, yes. Let's fight together. <laughs> well, so on that note, let's go ahead and wrap up into rapid fire. It is sure. just a series of short, quick questions that I sort of, you know, spit out at you. And Tim and I will just encourage you to respond with whatever comes first to your mind. There's no right answer. So uh, you ready for this? I am ready. All right, Michael, what book have you been reading lately and why would you recommend it? So the book is Play. 
How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Stole by Stuart Brown. And it's a scientific study of the just how play is inherently human. And if you can bring it into all aspects of your life, magic happens. I, I love that book. I only just read it and I'm I'm just like, I can't believe I only just read this book. It's an amazing book. It's really good. (laughs) At a lighter level then, um, if you had one superhero power, what would it be? I can read people's energy. And, uh, and so I can, there's a way of, um, there's a just into intuition. I like it. Yeah. That one, a sort of an intuit kind of thing. Interesting. All right. Uh, last question. What is one jargony word you'd banish from our sector? Overhead. Oh. <laughs> Yay. That you know what? Combine that with the magic wand and we got something going here. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, opening up the 2023 season with us sharing more about yourself, your work. We just are so appreciative. Our listeners can learn more about Michael and Charity Navigator at www.charitynavigator.org. You can listen and download our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, directly from our website at flux.io. That's F-L-U-X-X.io. 